Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve Ingus and Gordon Ritchie here in Magni Cores for the World SBK round. And Gordo, we've just seen one of the best races we've seen in a very long time in World SBK. This was the 800 race in the championship history and a bit of a landmark one. Top Rack Rasgiddy Aldi wins the race, but absolute classic race. Fantastic race. Quite amazing how many riders came through from the back. Um, fights everywhere, contacts everywhere. The nature of the track, all those heavy braking zones bring people together at the apex of corners. There's lots that you can sit and go through a lot of reasons why this race was the way it was. But the main reason, I think, was that there was very little dry track time to set up. It was a wet super pole, so some riders would qualify quite badly. But when it, because it was basically a dry race, they came through. The guys at the front kept holding each other up. It was just all the all the things that could make a good race collided together and we had an absolutely brilliant race. It was a, a wee bit over the limit sometimes, I think, for some people. But it really was quite a fantastic race to, to, to watch. The fans must have loved it. I know even in the media centre, everybody was ooing and on the whole way through. That was a great race. Should we just cancel Friday practice? That's a... Uh, that's something I've been talking about for a few years actually is why do we have a Friday in a production based championship why don't we just do all the qualifying Saturday and all the racing Sunday we don't need three days it's not MotoGP we don't need to set the bikes up to the nth degree no one agrees with me but well I'm, I'm paid on a day rate so I definitely <laughs> if, don't agree if, if that's what if that's what the very little practice does for the racing for the spectacle for the entertainment then bring it on and I remember because it was Saturday they've got now they know how to make a more refined bike for today so that's the that that to me is a I would do it I would try it do it for a couple of races and experiment I'm sure the teams would hate it but it, if that's what it delivers in terms of spectacle fantastic yeah because it really was something great we'll get to the ins and outs of the race in a wee while Top Rack obviously first Turkish winner it's a big milestone it's a race win that's been coming for a long time from but here in Magdi we had lots of heavy rain over the course of pretty much a day and a half and uh, suddenly the track even during the course of the race it's still drying out there were still damp patches offline there was lots of lots of difficult areas out there for the riders you talked about some of the moves that were being made you know some riders were feeling that uh, some were a little bit uh, on the limit Jonathan Ray after the race was pretty clear that he felt that it was a bit too close to the bone at times yes and I think that was partly because uh, people didn't actually they were actually pushing their own limit to see what the bike would do to see how hard they could break etc when you're doing that in practice then you run off a little bit when you do it in a race you hit the guy next to you or you come on or you make him lift um, and I think I mean certainly Batista was saying that as a, during the race is when he finally learned where the limits were was during the race and he ran wide a couple of times purely because he, he, he just didn't know he hadn't had the chance to, to really uh, and especially for a guy like him first time here never been here before so yesterday's race must have been really difficult for him and he found his limits through the race so it's not that people were just putting in wild moves I think a lot of people were only finding out that they were in a wee bit too hot with three people around them going from flat out to a first gear right hand corner and we saw with Chaz Davis in particular like um, at the time I wasn't sure whether or not there was an issue for Chaz obviously it's come out afterwards that there was an electronics issue but uh, that's the kind of thing that gets ironed out very quickly during the course of free practice but once you're in a race there's no opportunity to try and iron out any of those sort of issues that a bike can have yes and um, I mean Chaz was unfortunate I think uh, top, we're talking about Top Rack being the winner he nearly never got to the end of the race just because there was a, this little glitch at the limit but remember that glitch may have been nothing you know in any other circumstance might have just been right okay I know that's there now 
Um, but, but you know, potential disaster into one of the most infamous sections of the, the track um, in that bottom corner. And I remember you're going downhill into a hard off camber right hand corner, it's the place stuff's going to happen. If you've got a fault, you'll find it there. If you've got a brake problem, you'll find it there. Yeah, and that's the big thing around this Magni track as well. Like, it does place a lot of strain on the chassis because you're doing so much of your braking on the angle. There's only the start finish straight is pretty much the only time where a bike is bolt upright around this place. Yeah, I mean, I've been coming here for quite a while now, and at first when I came here, I thought great big facility, Formula One size, and all that. I just didn't. I thought the layout wasn't the best. Actually, Magni Current, especially in terms of close races is one of the best racetracks you can have because you've got all these hairpins that pull people together. You've got all these endless curves, um, endless changes of camber. Even some of the things on the map that look straight, the riders are actually going over the crown of the road and, and dropping down, almost like the old Assen. You that know, was the comparison that Bautista made as well. There's a crown in the middle of the road. You have to. So when you accelerate, you realise, oh, I'm actually going over the side of a hill here. I'm not... There's no positive camber for me it's all negative camber I can't actually give it full noise until I get to the the centre of the road because you're actually coming out of a hollow or over a crown and and it's actually a much more interesting racetrack than I ever thought it was in the, when I first started coming here um, and it's kind of they named the racetrack corners after a lot of racetrack a lot of individual sections of other racetracks that they've tried to copy so it's a kind of it's a strange place Magnicure middle of nowhere in absolute centre of France but as a race venue it's fantastic all I would like to say about Magnacour is I'd love to come here in June because the weather always messes things around here I'd love to be in this part of the world in June with an almost guaranteed dry track to see what they can really do because the track temperature never gets very high here yeah track temperature this week I think the highest we've seen is well, we're now recording this Sunday warm-up, but the highest track temperature we saw yesterday was about 19 degrees. Yeah. So always a challenge for that. Borderline. But I mean, it's, that's borderline for tyres. They really want to be a bit, you know, ideally they want to be at least that upwards, you know, and then they start getting to the point of being too hot and it starts hurting the tyre performance. But that's not a lot. I've been here in zero degrees. I mean, some of the races we've been here, there's been snow outside. You know, it's been snowing in the in the morning and it's, it's coming here late September, October is... Definitely a spin of the roulette wheel. Well, even if you look at the Ball d'Or was last weekend, and that was very much affected by weather as well. So even in France at this time of year, it still can be a little bit borderline, as he said. And the one thing about this weekend is at least it looks like for Sunday, we're going to have two races in pretty much ideal conditions or as ideal as they can be here. That's going to help someone like Bautista. But obviously he's been the one in the news all the way through this week. We'll get to his decision to leave Ducati a little bit later in the show but he's under a lot of pressure we heard Claudio Domenicali the CEO of Ducati come out very forcefully on Twitter just to shoot down Bautista there's tension in that pit box he's not getting the job done he's at a brand new track and he had no running at all on Friday he had a crash on his first flying lap in FP1 didn't go out for FP2 went out for FP3 so by the time he went to the Super Bowl session he'd done a dozen laps or something like that yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult to, to take one of these bikes that's doing 230 whatever horsepower and just jump on a, a new racetrack and, and go, especially here there's a few blind sections, it's such a tricky place, all those cambers. I think his performance yesterday to get to where he did was, was quite amazing. Um, and if you were him and you've seen the criticism, even from your own employers and stuff, you, you'll be motivated in the back of your little soul there, you'll be, you'll be desperate to have a good weekend here just to say hi. You know, that's not on. Um, 
it was a it was a very strange situation at the beginning of this weekend when everybody saw the the, the tweet that came out, and obviously the tension in there is must be gigantic now. Um, it's just another it's another twist to an unbelievable year inside that team where they won all those races on the straight on the bounce and then it all suddenly started going wrong and then it went really wrong um, for the most successful factory in in the history of World Superbike who are desperate to succeed after lots of years of other people winning. It's 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 a drama. It's a Shakespearean drama this year for Ducati, and it just seems to be a new twist every time. Is the criticism warranted? Only they know what the real story is with the money side of things. That seemed to be what it was about. There was a disagreement about whether it was about money or whether it was about this or that. The next thing, um, and those things are going to be more guarded than anything else. Ultimately, these are corporate business secrets in theory. Um, so that the trouble is, you just have to pick a person that you believe. Was it all about money? Was it all about opportunity? Was it all about um, movement on the bike, changes to the bike? We we probably won't really ever know because that will be done in a room with three or four people and lawyers. Yeah, usually in a situation like this when there's two sides as opposed as they are between Bautista and Ducati in this story, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. Yes, well, and most things. Yes. For, for me... Bautista's left himself open to any criticism from Ducati because he started the season so well he pretty much had one hand on the championship and you just don't see too many times in any sport where things have turned around this massively like you're looking at Liverpool against Milan in the European Cup final you're looking the Patriots against the Falcons in the Super Bowl you're looking Greg Norman collapsing in the Masters you're looking at uh, Shamrock Rovers throwing away a 13 point lead over Dundalk yeah, in the League of Ireland take your word for that one Steve no, that, that, that that's one. a recency bias one for me but it's it's moments like that that don't come around often and when you effectively throw away a world championship like Bautista has done you're going to get a lot of criticism from the manufacturer that basically left no stone unturned this year. They were having private tests at Imola before that round. They were doing a lot of testing through the season. They were throwing their resources in there and their frustrations came to the boil once it was officially confirmed that Bautista was leaving. Yes, I mean, again, unless you're in the room uh, with the, the conversations that people are having, you don't really know. Obviously, Ducati are desperate to win. They've put a lot of time into testing. I think that it's it's kind of one-sided to say it's all Bautista, but I think this is, from his point of view, you can look at this as the absolute dictionary definition of hubris because he was starting to talk and sound as if it was all that, you know, we've raised the level in World Superbike, we're better than the other guys. He was starting to get to that stage of, of talking and thinking and feeling about it, and then it went wrong, and then it went really badly wrong. So if there's a better definition of hubris, you tell me. Um, it is certainly, I, I, I can't think of anywhere, and in, in, uh, other people have lost World Championships gradually over a time, five points here, obviously Edwards and Bayless, Bayless was going to win that championship and eventually lost it, but there was five points here and five points there and one crash. This has just been a litany since Imola when it started going wrong to now it's just been an absolute litany of of, of failure. How and who and why? Yeah, obviously Bautista's the one having the crashes, but I think they have tried to change the bike and move the bike and, and every direction they go in is, is not working. The only direction that works for that bike seems to be where they had it at the very first round after the test in Australia. As soon as they've done anything away from that, it doesn't work. And Chaz has won a race, but again, he's not like found his happy place on that bike. So I think the bike's difficult. I think 
when it's right, it's the best bike here. It's the fastest bike. It it works well, but it's such an extreme bike. You have to get everything right, or it actually starts tips over and becomes a liability. So I wouldn't put all the blame on Batista, even for the spectacular collapse. But um, it's it's certainly seems to be what happened in his mind. You know what happened in his mind. That's because something changed. Maybe as soon as he had that first crash, all that confidence went in one go. I don't know. No one knows. But that's what makes it so compelling to watch, to see what's going to happen next. Is he going to have a good weekend or a bad weekend? Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how he finishes the year and then how he goes into next year with the Honda. You mentioned there about Chaz Davis as well. Obviously, Davis won in Laguna. He looked very good here in race one as well. He'll be strong over the course of this weekend. And we've seen it at times this season with Davis where they can go down that wrong alley with their setup. Portimao on the podcast, we were talking about how good he was on the Saturday. And then it all turned sour on the Sunday after we'd recorded. But that was, they went down the wrong alley with the setup. And they're still trying to learn and understand that bike. Yes. And I think maybe the difficult thing about that bike is just the chassis it's still not something that they can click here and, and adjust there and it goes in this direction that was the problem they had with the old Panigale twin it took them years to get it in a situation where they could actually predict if they did this then they'll get that result um, and again it's not quite a conventional bike that it is in some ways and not in others so maybe they're just doing all the the, the, the real understanding of the bike and how it works uh, live and that has its risks. And when you've got racing against the best superbike riders in the world and the best, biggest production championship in the world with the most factory input, one small mistake means you fall off. You're racing at such a, an edge that you're going to fall off. And that's what's been happening to Bautista. Yeah, and uh, obviously enough from one of the other riders that we've seen have issues like that in the past of just finding that limit, top rack. We've seen all the way through this season that he's made those big steps forward. He's taken himself back and uh, ridden within himself at times and he's found something new this weekend, finally able to pick up that race victory and very well deserved. It's been coming a long time for Top Rack. Oh, he's in so many podiums this year and come so close. Uh, he's nearly won races even last year. So he was quite far back with a couple of laps to go. Yesterday, you thought, hmm, it's going to happen again. And then all of a sudden, he was just there and there and there. The thing about Top Rack is, because he's so young, for a superbike rider, he's very young, um, and he rides with a freedom and a flow and a kind of making it up as he goes along, that yesterday, given all the circumstances we spoke about earlier, about lack of track time and so on, a lot of yesterday's win was just down to heart at the end. He, uh, maybe a more sensible rider would have said, OK, we've, we've done the tyres now, or... Things aren't perfect, but he just thought, okay, this is my chance, I'm going to go. And he just rode with a load of freedom. And that is why he's such an exciting rider to watch. He's still not got to the stage where he's telling himself, oh, no, you can't do that. He's still learning, oh, well, maybe I can do that. And I thought the last couple of laps yesterday, yeah, Jonathan's going to, Jonathan, four-time champion, he's going to see it out, he'll do what he needs to to keep him behind. He made one small mistake, and then that was it. And top right was just relatively speaking gone in a very short space of time at that stage in the race it was it was great to watch amazing race yesterday and I, and I don't care who wins it's the definition of a journalist I'm a reporter I don't care who wins the, the best rider on the day wins and that's it but I think everybody in the whole paddock was glad to see Top Rack taking his first win except Jonathan and his guys Jonathan was very uh, not unhappy he just disappointed in himself yesterday and that doesn't happen very often it was a strange one as well because we saw with two laps to go, the pit board comes out and they're telling him to 
gap to top rack and the times the top rack's doing. And Jonathan clearly thought he had enough in hand. Yeah. And when he talked afterwards, he did talk about the fact that he just went into the rhythm for what he expected to have to do. Yeah. He wasn't looking over his shoulder. He wasn't really focusing on top rack. He got taken by surprise by top rack being as close as he was. Yeah, I think there's that mistake. I think that's what gave top rack the realisation that, yes, I can do this. That's that little bit, that extra tenth or two, whatever it was, that Johnny talked about, he made a wee mistake near the end. Um, and that just shows you, no matter who you are, you, you have to see it right through to the end every single race, every single lap. We remember Tosland and Assen getting beaten by Bayless over the line. Tosland had the race won and he just eased off a little bit, started thinking about maybe doing a wheelie and Bayless came in on the inside and beat him by nothing. You know, it, it, even the best riders in the world can be caught out in this in a race like that if they don't actually get right to the very end. Um, but it's understandable for Jonathan because obviously they've done all those such a tough race he said that for the first 10 laps he was nervous too many kind of on the limit passes going on and he, I think he thought he'd done the hard work he'd used up so much energy and so much tyre to, to get to where he was done his usual clever game um, I think maybe he just underestimated the, what was coming from behind um, but I mean listen to the top rack talking about it yesterday it was just free, it was just like good now you know I've got it, got it done and uh, you know, he'd been waiting a while. He just he said, and I just push. I saw the chance, and I push, and I push, and I push. Because he's a younger rider, an older rider might not have said, "Okay, just take second. I'll, I'll get a chance to have a clear win someday." You think that as well, though. But Jonathan Ray didn't look like a man settling for points yesterday because, like, he was on the ragged edge a lot of the time through that race. We saw him with a foot off the pegs. We saw him sliding. We saw him oh, yeah. very aggressive yeah, for yeah. for a man on the verge of winning the world championship. He wasn't thinking in terms of settling for points. He was only thinking beginning. about winning. No, no, not at the beginning. No, no, no. He knew he had to fight his way to the front, and he knew he didn't have any choice but to be in a scrap. He wanted to go and couldn't because he said I wouldn't let him. He wasn't happy in the bike. He said that my bike wasn't talking to me yesterday the way it normally does. So when a guy's so used to having a bike, which at least when they get to the races, is set up well, however they start on Friday, that didn't happen for him this weekend. So he, he wasn't able to just pull out those things that, oh, I know if I do this, the bike will do that. So therefore, he couldn't just pull away from everybody yesterday. But he did manoeuvre himself into that situation at the end where he was leading and then, you know, OK, because Van der Mark crashed at the front. I mean, what a shame for Michael to do all that work. But it just shows you how when you lose all that set-up time, even somebody like Michael, who's actually won races by being in front and keeping that lead. Um, even he got caught out towards the end yesterday. Yeah, there was some pictures of, I didn't see too many of Mikey, but I saw a few pictures of Alex Lowe's front tyre. It sounded like Van der Mark also was struggling quite a bit with that as well. So clearly the lack of track time just hurting the two Yamaha riders. But uh, Van der Mark looked very very strong all the way through this race like always with Van der Mark once he's got a bike underneath him that he thinks he can win with he just finds another gear I think it's a consistency at pace thing which is one of Van der Mark's strengths he seems to be able to rhyme out it laps as fast as a bike will do and when they get the bike to work properly he can maximise that I mean he made a mistake yesterday or had a problem yesterday but ultimately he can do those lap after lap after lap under pressure as long as the machine's working the way he wants and obviously yesterday they just asked too much of the, the, the way the bike was the tyre was at the end um, and fell again at that infamous uh, turn 15 is it 15, 14, 15 the bottom of the hill turn 5 for oh was it 5 for yeah, Van der Mark, yeah. yeah. One, one, one of the hard braking sections yeah. into a slow corner that's yeah. where he fall and uh, 
we saw, well, we see the whole way through this weekend that there was a lot of crashes here in Magni. Obviously, conditions are tricky here, but this is also a track that even in the dry can catch out. We saw that with Vandermark. We saw mm -hmm. a couple of other crashes in the race. But when you look at what we've seen all the way through the dry race, what do you think we're going to see in the Super Pole race? Because we saw how combative it was at the start of this race. It's very easy to be a little bit too aggressive. It's very easy to try and push a bit too hard. A low grip track like this, you can easily have a crash, even if it's not involving anyone else. So in the 10 lap Super Pole race, could see plenty of action really. Especially where people are starting because of the, where they qualified. So I think we're going to see the first few laps of this are going to be very messy very messy indeed for all the reasons we spoke about earlier and the fact that they've got 10 laps on the fact that they've got a different tyre on you know so many of them will be using the short life tyre just to see if that can make a difference for them so there will be a lot of people in the in the first two laps of the 10 lap race who are going to be finding another setup, if you like another and they'll all be riding harder because they've got half as much of a race to do at any track that uh, as a factor here especially because of what happened on Friday it's going to be I mean I can't imagine it's going to be anything else except dodgems Does Jonathan Ray wrap up the World Championship today? It's perfectly possible one bad result and one no score from Batista and it's all very very possible um, Steve well, ask me later you know but it's entirely <laughs> not recording later Gordo. it's entirely possible that it's done today um, we've seen it before uh, but again one bad result from Jonathan keeps it alive till the next one guaranteed it's too it's one of those edgy ones and it's amazing how many times I've been at this racetrack and there's been a championship decider even if it's before the end of the year is it going to be here does it travel to another one I've seen a million people standing in that pit lane on top of their bike pumping their arms in the air as world champion it could be here for Jonathan I, I think for everybody uh, all the neutrals they probably want it to go another round at least just because it's a, it's a better way to fight for longer in the championship um, and even if you're the organisers imagine the, the situation of the organisers you think well the 300 championship is going to be 99% certain decided today um, they'll still be around in Qatar but it's probably going to be today so today would be 300s Argentina would be Superbike and the final round would be Supersport 600 that would be the ideal thing to have three races with three championship celebrations and so on that would be a good if you're organising you probably couldn't work that out better so maybe that's what we're going to get yeah well you mentioned the 300s of course Manuel Gonzalez can win his championship he's had hell of a year he's been consistent all the way through we'll give a quick mention just for what he's been able to do so far but Scott DeRue this weekend's looking strong he might be able to keep things alive but with the way Gonzalez has been all he needs to do is finish inside the top four and he wins the championship so you would imagine that Gonzalez should be able to get across the line this weekend his qualifying is the only question mark because he's down in I think 15th um, and the two people right behind him in the championship are one and two so it's, it couldn't be set up better for that 300 race today it's fantastic I think everybody's going to be sitting in the edge of the seat watching that um, And but I mean his year's been incredible just amazing to, to be consistently fast and consistently on the podium and consistently winning in that class is almost impossible even because of weight of numbers even because of the change in weather between the A and B group qualifying even because one person makes a mistake and 17 people go past you you know, someone punch you off and you lose 10 places in one go. I think Carrasco, what happened to Carrasco this year, that one person made a slightly uh, dodgy move on her. I think she lost five, six places in the final corners. She'd done a great race and someone else's mistake put her back. 
it's utterly impossible to predict what happens in that, that, that championship. In theory, until somebody like Gonzalez comes along and does what he's done this year. We'll uh, wrap up the show just a little bit more about the rider movements for next year. Obviously, we've heard that Bautista's been confirmed at Honda. It's one of the worst-kept secrets in the paddock. But the longer it sort of went on, the more that you thought, like, maybe something is happening. Because yeah. there was the rumours about even KTM buying out his contract to take him to MotoGP. Well, I mean... The KTM story came along and you, and you have to report it and talk about it, but ultimately everybody that seemed close to it said no. But when we spoke to Batista last time out in Portugal, when we said, look, it's all done with Honda, he's like, no, 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 no. And, and suddenly we all start thinking, hmm, you know, what, maybe something else is happening here. Um, even though everybody for weeks and months has been, yeah, he's going to go Honda, big money, new bike. Um, so it just shows you one comment from a rider gets things that people are it's kind of set in stone you suddenly start having to think the other way because you don't want to miss something so but he's going there I think it's a great thing um, if he, especially if he's unhappy as he is and Ducati and so on um, you have to you just have to have to get the um, you have to get a guy uh, a guy like that on a good ride it's another manufacturer coming back they've got a true star rider he's one all those races this year and his first year XGP guy everybody's going to have a star lineup next year and that's that's what we want you know we want to have the ideal situation is to have a, a kind of lead rider in a team and then someone else who can win races That that's your ideal setup and everybody might ha- end up with that the top guys next year and a new bike you know a new Honda whatever it really turns out to be I think we all know but it's going to be a cool bike however long it takes them to be successful and look at Ducati they won the first all those races and they're not going to win the World Championship well they're probably not going to win the World Championship so maybe it'll be the other way with Honda maybe the start of the season will be hard and the end of the second half of next year Honda will be gone and Bautista will be doing the opposite as they've done this year they'll have a better second half who knows but the best thing is nobody knows yeah and the best thing as well is that that bike he could be able to do something amazing with it because he does ride differently to everyone else. We see it at times where he's the Ducati rider that's able to carry his speed onto the straights and that's just from how he exits a lot of the corners. You look at Portimao, you look at Phillip Island, those long corners, he just seems to carry an awful lot of speed, carry a lot of momentum and make the best out of that bike whereas the other riders in that bike haven't been able to do that. So maybe that'll be something that he can still translate to the Honda as well to give him an advantage. And I think also the, the other big question that some people are asking is, after so many years of not being successful in Superbike and not being a factory team in Superbike and allowing, leaving it to other people to turn your final, your, your road product into a final product and it's not MotoGP where you can just go and start again if you don't like the idea. Some people are thinking maybe Honda, you know, just because of that lack of, of recent experience, might not make the greatest bike in next year because they just don't have that world Superbike knowledge. They haven't been winning the eight hour recently they're going to have to do a proper job on that bike to, to make sure they are competitive here. It's also possible to make a very extreme bike that won't work or not work the way they expect it to or take too long to fix. But because it's production racing, what they make is what they're going to have to stick with unless they build a whole new model. And that doesn't happen anymore. Even for people like Honda, it just doesn't happen. So they're going to have to make a good bike next year to, to, to be competitive. They're going to be extreme enough to be fast enough, but it's got to be not too sensitive not too tricky to set up for for all the riders that are going to ride it because remember that's going to be their TT bike and their 8 bike and their BSB bike and everything else 
So they've got to get it done not just for here, but for every championship. So it's a it's a tr- difficult question for any manufacturer that races superbike. And uh, obviously, one of the big questions now is who's going to be alongside Bautista. The rumour mill around the paddock is that Leon Haslam's playing up pretty hard to try and get that right as well. Haslam, of course, it looks like he's going to be dropped by Kawasaki and replaced by Alex Lowe. So he's trying to do what he can to find whatever's available for him. He's talking to pretty much every team out there, whether it's Pichetti on a, to stay on a Kawasaki or Barney to go to a Ducati or a Honda. He's certainly doing the rounds right now. Yes, um, and he he would be a good pick for anybody. Obviously, given his experience, he was second in the World Championship once. He's, he's 2018 BSB champion. He's got a lot of experience. Um, he's got a very particular riding style. But any team that takes Haslam is getting a good rider. So his, he will have options. He may not have options as a lead rider in some teams, but he, he may get a ride with someone else. The Honda second seat um, is probably going to go uh, Japanese, but ultimately... There, there could be four good Hondas next year. The, 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 the still things are still in the mix for the overall Honda effort next year, um, even though there's going to be the big team. So there could be an opportunity there. So Leon's definitely got choices. It's just nailing it down. And from what he said the, on Friday, that it's actually what other people, how how they can be, they would be a happy match together, and they might even have an offer. But the team's got to be there with enough budget for him to want to sign yeah a few other rumours around the paddock Kiefer racing from the Grand Prix paddock are here this weekend talking seems like with BMW about trying to get something lined up for next year they've pretty much said that as long as they're able to maintain the budget they have in the Grand Prix paddock they can run a very competitive superbike programme with the BMW that would be an interesting proposition to have because a year into that project they've made massive strides already BMW oh I mean that bike just gets better every week quite slowly it seems it's all step by step and little steps but the BMW is the sweetest chassis it's, from what Sykes is saying at least it seems to be probably the sweetest chassis out there which considering how new it is and it's got a new rider on it etc it's a bit of a surprise but it's obviously a good bike they haven't gone absolutely down the Ducati route of just going for total horsepower etc but they've got their own shift cam technology which is designed to give the best of both worlds they've got a very big boring stroke on that bike very modern boring stroke it's not like the Honda or the Kawasaki which is very old school um, so it's a thoroughly modern bike that's probably got a few years left in it um, so that would be a great choice for anybody to come and do especially showing with Sykes showing what he could do dry podium yesterday no set up time that's you know, that's quite impressive for a year one project, even from BMW Motorrad. The other rumours around the paddock, Chevy Fares was here yesterday. Yeah. Seems very likely that he's going to be on the Tenkata Yamaha. Uh, I've heard that as well, and it would be great to see him back. I think he genuinely is a world-class rider. I think to go to BSB on a Honda was the hard way of doing it. The Honda is just obviously an older bike, and, and it's not... Uh, it's a good bike, and obviously they have a good results, and, and BSB was a very, very tough championship. Um, but he is a world-class rider. It would be great to see him back here in the World Championship. It, it seemed that uh, just as things were really going well with Barney and settled, someone had to change for politics or budget or whatever. Um, so it would be great to see him back here. And Tenkata, I mean, what have they done since they came back on a whole different motorcycle from what they've been used to for 20 years? You know, all of a sudden they've got Baz, who got lots of points to prove. And look at how well they're doing as a, as a unit. If they'd have been here from the start of the season, 
with a new bike, where would they be in the championship now? It's actually, that is a kind of behind, because they're not the lead team for Yamaha, that's kind of under the radar. When you look at what they've done, you're going, wow, that's incredible. I mean, he nearly won, he nearly uh, took a podium yesterday. Yeah, and the big thing for Tenkata is they can develop different parts for that bike and not have to give them to the other Yamahas. It's not like if you're the reference team and you develop something that has to be made available to everyone else, Tenkata can sell it to you. But they also have the choice of selling it to you. Yes, and that's the that's the main word sell. They're they're they've been able to race to the level they did in the past because they would develop things, sell them, put that back in the budget, and that's how they were able to start in the team that ended up being the de facto uh, official Honda team. For Yamaha, using the Yamahas, they have got a whole project going in the background about other classes and race equipment and so on. That's what. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who actually does a better job in the next two or three years. Tinkata Yamaha or the official Yamahas? Because it's they've shown in the past that when they get it right, they can be as fast as anybody with their own stuff. I think that's a, a little, maybe it's a little inside the paddock thing, but that's going to be really interesting to see the nuances have already gone their own way and brakes and wheels and all sorts of things. And we're just starting on that. So we'd be interested to see how quite how far away they get from the official Yamaha. Or... Just because you can buy the official stuff, maybe you, you think you can do do better. And obviously they want to spread out any classes and things. I think is inside the paddock, I think, is maybe one of the most interesting stories of the year. Yeah, and Tenkara, of course, they're extending for next year as well into the Supersport class and probably into the 300 class as well. It looks like it's going to be a European season next year for them in the Supersport class, probably with Brad Jones, the British Supersport rider, came in and did a good job at Donington Park as well, qualified in the second row of the grid and looked pretty solid all the way through the week. So that's a good step for them as well. But on the GRT Yamaha side, it looks like Caracasulo's done and dusted. As long as he's there, it means that they'll probably keep some sponsorship from Italy. But uh, Garrett Gerloff's here this weekend talking to teams. The only real landing spot for him would be at GRT Yamaha. But uh, he sort of come in a little bit out from the cold because it was all talk about Bobier coming to that seat. Now it looks like Bobier, the Motor America champion, he's going to stay in America for another year. Gerloff's come to the paddock at the right time. Uh, if that's what happens, that's a, a great thing. We need an American rider, a good American rider. Uh, the whole ethos of that GRT team, as Yamaha never tired of telling us, is to bring on uh, talent through the ranks. So the guys that are in the blue crew riding a 300 now in a few years might be in GRT if they get a chance at Yamaha. So they go for the championship with the Pata team, the big team, and then they go, they bring through young riders via GRT. That is basically their philosophy. So that rider lineup for next year, Caracasillo and Gerloffs, would be absolutely on message of what they've been telling us that team's supposed to be. Yeah, and Gerloffs done a really good job the second half of the season as well from Laguna onwards. He's been a real front runner, won a lot of races. So be interesting to see what he could do if he did make the step up as well. Um, heard quite a bit of rumours about Supersport as well, Gordo. It looks like Jack Kennedy is interested in coming over to here as well. Possibility at MV Augusta. He's also been talked about as maybe moving to Superbikes and BSB as well. Birdie's apparently interested in putting them on a Ducati and different things like that. But again, it just sort of be interesting to see what Kennedy could do if he came back here on a good bike. Yes, and I mean, he's been here before um, and he went back to you to, to BSB. I mean, when you get to that level in BSB where you're you're, you're winning and you you need to do something else, whether it's go up into the, the superbikes in, in UK or go back into the World Championship, 
Um, and Supersport's open. Supersport is a very open championship. Yes, Yamaha is the top bike now, but when you get somebody as good as Mahias on the Kawasaki, um, we, we need you need to have we need to have a bigger spread of, of different people in there now, especially if Caracasillo is going upstairs. That you have to get another hot young kid and a hot, a hot talent in. And I mean, Jack, is, I think he would do fine in the World Championship, no problem. Yeah, and obviously on the Kawasaki, there's talk that Kan Onchu, the youngest ever Grand Prix rider, one year into his Moto3 career, that he might be coming here as well. It's been a disappointing year for him in Grand Prix and Keenan Safoglu is his manager and he just wants him to be able to go somewhere to win races. It looks like that could potentially be in Supersport. Yeah, and I mean, what's home for for that? The, the Turkish guys are, are are obviously doing what they do uh, in, in some of the classes in GPs, but it's it's not guaranteed here. You, to me, you always seem to be if you're a younger rider, you always shine through here. It's not about the team you're in or or, or uh, the backup you've got or anything else, because of the nature of this championship. If you've got the talent and, and one or two of the right people behind you, all things are possible in any class here. It's kind of been that way, um, and look at what's happened. Obviously, with Razgat Leoglu, maybe this is a paddock to get those the, to to get that the return on the investment that the Turkish government, the sports ministry, whatever, Keenan have invested in it. And maybe this is a place to go, and it's certainly home for Keenan. You know, this 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 paddock is home for him, so he maybe knows how to do it here. It's more difficult in MotoGP. Yeah, Keenan's obviously a man with a lot of standing in this paddock, not so much in the Grand Prix paddock, and uh, you can throw your weight around here a lot easier. Than in the Grand Prix paddock, if you're and experience and genuine experience of how things work and how to get the best out of the bikes and what you know what directions to go in in every regard from the business side to the technical side, from the racing side to the rival side. It's all known here, intimately known by Keenan for a long time. That's obviously helped Raz get Leoglu to get to where he has. Uh, you know, maybe this is the path for that to go down rather than GPs, where it's dominated by other countries and other uh, set directions. All right, well, you can hear from outside that it's gone a little bit quiet. So the warm-ups are finishing up here at Magni Corps. Gordo, it's time for us to probably go get to work and uh, look forward to another good day's racing here at Magni. Oh, I hope so. And the weather's fantastic. Magnificent sunrise this morning. The, the place is, it just looks great, especially after being so dull and grey. I think we're going to get two amazing races today. I certainly hope so. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, look, thanks for joining us, Gordo, and thanks for listening as usual. And uh, for myself and Gordo, we'll be talking to you next time in Argentina. And uh, obviously, in the meantime, there's the start of the MotoGP flyaways as well. So David and Neil will no doubt be keeping everyone up to date on what's happening in the Grand Prix paddock as well. So thanks for joining us. And until the next time, it's myself, Steve English, and Gordon Ritchie signing off from Magni Corps.